Hi, welcome to episode 131 of Close Horse. I'm your host, Amanda. And normally I would do something, you know, cute for the intro or at least something that seems a little bit funny to me, maybe, maybe not to you, but I'm just not there this weekend. If you're listening to this far off in the future, a better future, I hope, I'm recording this the weekend after the Supreme Court had quite a wild week of rulings that are completely dismantling our civil rights here in the United States. On Tuesday, the court got things rolling by ruling that Maine cannot exclude religious schools from a tuition assistance program that allows parents to use vouchers to send their children to public or private schools. Previously, parents were allowed to use those vouchers only for non-sectarian, meaning non-religious schools, you know, separation of church and state. That's what was happening there with this policy. And if you don't live in Maine, this might not seem like a big deal, but this case, this ruling could open the door for more cases that chip away at the separation of church and state. And that is that is not a place we want to be. On Thursday, the court ruled that suspects may not sue police officers who fail to inform them of their right to remain silent. That means that in the future, if an officer forgets to read a suspect their Miranda rights before arresting them, you know, if you watch as much Law & Order as me, you have the right to remain silent, you have the right to an attorney, all of that stuff. They cannot be sued for it later. And this is a big deal because if officers don't really have to read people their rights, like they're not going to get sued if they don't, those people might not even know that they're under arrest and they could incriminate themselves. That's a really big, scary situation right there, just also in its early stages of unfolding, right? Also on Thursday, that same day, the court struck down a New York gun law that was enacted more than a century ago that placed a lot of restrictions on carrying a concealed gun outside of the home. This is a big deal because it can influence rulings on other gun-related cases in lower courts. And then, of course, like those cases would have been bad enough news, and they really were on Friday morning at 8 a.m., Central Time, but by 9 a.m. Central Time, they were overshadowed by the most devastating news in a pretty scary week of news, in a year of devastating news, in years of anxiety-inducing, terrifying news. Like, seriously, when was the last time it wasn't scary to be alive? I I don't know. (laughs) Someone tell me. Uh The court struck down Roe versus Wade, leaving states to determine the laws around abortion access in their state. So now abortion is banned in 10 states, including Texas, where I live. It will be banned in another five states in a month, and it's likely to be banned in five more states in the coming months. You know, when you don't even own your own body and decisions around it, you own everything absolutely nothing. Even worse, language in Clarence Thomas's majority opinion called for revisiting decisions on previous cases that protected access to contraception. That was 1965's. 1965, by the way, so long ago, Griswold versus Connecticut. 
Same-Sex Consensual Sexual Contact, which was 2003's Lawrence versus Texas, and Same-Sex Marriage, which was passed in 2015 with the ruling on Obergefell versus Hodges. This is a bad, scary time. <laughs> That's, wow, that was articulate, right? But you know what? I'm frightened. I'm angry. I feel overwhelmed and powerless and just too sad to really enjoy anything. But I also recognize that I cannot wallow in this place. I have to pick myself up and get to work. Because while it might seem as if it's game over, it's actually more like game on. This right now I know it feels like the end, but it's just the beginning of the fight. And every single person, everyone has to be on board. No one gets to skip out because they have brunch plans or because it's their birthday month or anything else. We have to get to work. I've talked in the past here about the idea of, in air quotes here, things going back to normal you know, what everyone was wanting in 2020, still hoping for in 2021, pretending was happening in 2022. If there's anything that all of you have learned from listening to me talk for hours every week, it is that what was normal before 2020 was only good for a small group of privileged people who had the money, safety, and support to be, you know, oblivious, completely oblivious, willfully or otherwise, because access to abortion has been hanging on by a thread for decades. People have been taking on more and more medical debt just to stay alive. The United States has had the highest rate of maternal mortality in the industrialized world for a big chunk of this century. Many of us have been working two, three, four jobs just to pay our rent and eat. Few of us will be able to retire. Black men and mentally ill people were and are killed or at least very injured by the police on a regular basis. Victims of sexual assault rarely get justice or support. The gender pay gap still exists and it's even worse for women of color. And of course, hate crimes abound. Things weren't better before 2020. Things were a little bit better before 2016. But still, all of the problems I listed above, they still existed. It's time once and for all for everyone out there who was longing for this illusion of normal to accept that it does not exist. What should be normal is collective action of assuming our own personal responsibility in tandem with others, of recognizing that all of our fates are entwined with the fates of others and fighting for them, fighting alongside them. That is fighting for ourselves too, for the people we love. If you're scared, if you're angry, if you're sad, so is everyone else. Let's work on that together. Right now, we're at a major crossroads. And while there's almost an infinite number of ways everything could play out, 
there are two major paths with all these little tweaked versions alongside them. Path number one is the easy path, or at least it's the easiest one right now. We feel defeated, we give up, we surrender, we say, there's nothing I can do. Republicans win the midterms, they regain full control of Congress, and literally no good legislation passes in the next two years. Should any Supreme Court justices retire, they will not be replaced by more liberal or even moderate justices. Most likely in the 2024 election, a Republican will win the presidency because everyone will be too disenfranchised to vote Democrat. Meanwhile, Republicans will be voting like crazy in hopes of banning abortion fully and installing gun vending machines on every block. By the way, at this point, that president will be either Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. You're already familiar with Trump, but if you're not scared enough by this timeline, please go Google Ron DeSantis asshole. Enjoy. This is a guy who literally bullied the Special Olympics into revoking a vaccine mandate. Yeah, he's a really cool dude. Can't wait for him as president. Here's what happens in path number one. There is no gun control. There is no universal health care. Hell, we're probably drilling in national parks because there's certainly no legislation around climate change. Abortion becomes fully illegal in this country. Maybe it even gets harder to access emergency contraception and other birth control. Same-sex marriage is dismantled. Trans people lose all their rights. Hate crimes become totally chill and NBD. Somehow, health care will be more expensive, too. This is a scary fucking place, my friends. I hate, and I hate that I'm about to do this, but it's it's an example that works for some people. I hate to bring the handmaid's tale into this because I think white women use it way too often in the fight for reproductive rights, ignoring the fact that in the past, even in the last century, women of color, poor women, mentally ill women, intellectually disabled women, and women caught receiving illegal abortions were literally sterilized by the government. That less than 200 years ago, black women were literally owned by white men and they had no ownership of their own bodies. So yeah, While I love The Handmaid's Tale as a book and a television series, we have actual, real, nonfiction source material that we should be drawing from, right? But I'm bringing up The Handmaid's Tale because the Republic of Gilead existed because too many people were apathetic for way too long or figured it was just fear-mongering or hysterical to think that things could go the way they did. Meanwhile, those who wanted to strip women of their rights and exterminate gay and trans people were putting in the work. They did it. They didn't give up. They kept doing it. And yes, this is a fictional book, but it feels it feels so plausible right now. Once again, please do not show up at a reproductive rights protest in your Handmaid's Tale costume, because you're missing, you're missing the bigger picture. Regardless of what you're wearing to the protest, I will tell you this, we have to do the work and we have to do it together. Which brings me to path number two. We get shit done together. 
We put our smaller differences aside and fight to make this place safe and free for everyone. We vote. We help others get registered to vote. We literally take people to the polls on election day so they can vote. We protest. We help others get to the protest and feel safe. We hand out water and volunteer our medic services if we have those skills. We call our representatives, even if they're Democrats. They need to hear about this too. We coordinate with others to ensure these calls are coming in non-stop. If we have the money, we donate it to groups that are helping others with less privilege get the care they need. We facilitate this care by driving people to clinics, giving them a place to stay, and keeping them safe. Yes, this is work, but here's why path number two is great. We get a major blue wave in the midterm elections. Now we have a Democrat in the White House and Democrats running Congress. And listen, I am not happy with Democrats. I'm not happy with the binary options that we have right now. I'm not happy with what hasn't happened in the past few years. And I know that you right now are mentally writing me a DM about to go scorched earth for speaking up for Democrats right now. But I'm all about, let's be realistic about what we have right now and how we can make the fastest change. Yes, long-term, we need a complete revamp of our political system and we need a progressive party that truly embraces progressive ideals. But this is what we have right now, and this is what we can make happen right now, because this is urgent. And this kind of change can't be made a few years from now. We need a better world to start right now. Okay, so we've got this blue wave, right? We've got a Democrat in the White House. We've got Democrats running all of Congress. Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, they get like deported to Antarctica and... And maybe they get a reality show out of it. I'm not going to watch it, but maybe you will. But we've got finally an executive branch that works with a legislative branch to get shit done. They pass legislation overriding the state's rights to ban abortion and same-sex marriage. And then the laws, man, they're so good. Access to abortion, same-sex marriage, gun control, universal health care, police reform, turning the minimum wage into a living wage, a revamp of the student loan and higher education system, EPR regulations for fast fashion, climate change policy. These will become the laws of the land. And they pack the Supreme Court to uphold these laws. This is just the beginning in so many ways because there is so much to fix in this world, but it's a start. The other path does not lead to a better world. This path may not be perfect, and it's definitely going to be a long game. We're going to be working hard for a long time, but it's so much better. This one drops us off in the parking lot of a better world, and we just need to keep working to get closer and closer, and we will. Because we will be working on this together. Empathy, collaboration, bravery, community, support. Let those be your guidelines, your motivations, the words that get you moving in the morning. This is what normal is now. And it should have been the normal all along. Be angry. Be sad. Be frightened. I I'm all of these right now, but also 
be ready to do the work. Okay, now, after all that, we're going to get into the actual episode, which, despite everything going on right now, I'm really excited to share with you. Today's special guests are, dun-da-da, my daughter Dylan and their partner Ryan. Last year, they both worked for one of the largest thrift store chains in the United States. At first, we were, as a family of avid thrifters, pretty excited about their new jobs. But pretty rapidly, as these things tend to happen, their stories really shifted a lot of my own thinking around donation, thrifting, and our own behaviors when it comes to the stuff we no longer want. Like a lot of the things we talk about here on Clothes Horse, the thrift industry has a major impact on the humans working within it. Wages are low, expectations are high, and there is little room for advancement. Also, it's gross and frequently dangerous. Dylan and Ryan were visiting me in Austin last week, and I asked them if they would be willing to share their experiences with you. This is the first episode I've recorded IRL with a guest, and it was so fun. Definitely makes me want to do way more in-person interviews in the future. So let's jump right into our conversation. All right, why don't the two of you go ahead and introduce yourselves to everyone. Hi, my name's Dylan. Hello, my name is Ryan. And are either of you related to me by blood? Perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) So Dylan and Ryan are joining us today because they are past employees of a really large thrift store chain i we're not going to say the name here but i think that this brand has become shorthand for thrifting or donation in general sort of like kleenex is for tissue uh so you you know the place that we're talking about you've probably been to one you may have donated some of your unwanted stuff there and we're today we're going to talk about what happens to our stuff when we drop it off there uh the reality of it and its end life. And we're also going to talk about what it's like to work for this very huge thrift chain um, and what the impact of that business and its policies is on the people who work there, which is something that we we just don't hear enough about. Spoiler alert, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very true. So why don't the two of you explain when you worked there and what you did? So I worked there from uh, October of 2020 to June of 2021. I started out there as a cashier for a few months, and then I was moved to the back where I was then a production associate. Uh, Production associates pretty much do whatever task needs to be done. Um, That could be anything from wear sorting, clothing sorting, hanging up clothes, just anything that needs to be done that the people in the other positions are not able to do. Um, From there, I was then um, made a wear sorter, and the wear sorters are in charge of going through anything that is not clothing or textile of any kind and sorting them to be put out onto the floor as well as pricing them. I started March... 2021 um and left june 2021 i applied to be a dsr which is the donor service representative but was placed in a wear sorting position 
I was then probably a month later moved to the DSR position, um, which is taking in donations from the door, taking donations from off the truck, like raw wares, raw textile, um, and then again, re putting everything back onto the truck to be taken to wherever it is they take it to. So let's start with stuff arriving at the, at the, at the store. You know, this was a place that accepts donations in addition to selling. Not all thrift stores are like that, but I would say most locations of this chain do both. So what was the standard routine for when stuff arrived like did people just leave it there or did you actually have interaction with them it sounds like you did ryan well so it 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 was weird basically like when we would open i would go out and put out a uh like board and some big bins uh like spring bins for everything to be like fit um there would be times where they would ring the doorbell um to get assistance uh, at that point, it was kind of like peak pandemic, so we weren't really able to help them take things out of their cars. Uh, or but, people would just simply ring the bell to let us know that they dropped something yeah. off, but other times people would just drop it drop off it without off. Yeah, telling us. They, a lot of the time, wouldn't put them in the bins where they were supposed to go. They would kind of just shove it under the railing onto um, the concrete stoops that they were, or just sit it out on the curb, not even going up the steps like they're supposed to, making it harder for my job to be done really yeah i mean i do think you know this is something we talk about a lot on close horse is that a lot of people use these places whether they're bins or actual stores where they're dropping it off as kind of like a dumping ground it's really interesting to me it's sort of like oh i'm gonna go this extra stop to dump it here instead of in my trash but often the same sort of mental approach is taken to it where it's like we're just not even going to think of the people working here. We're just going to dr- drop it off. There has been times where we have told people that we cannot accept the specific items that they're donating or that we are just too full of donations and we can't accept them because we quite literally do not have room for them. And people will come up with every excuse or try to guilt trip you into taking the donation. They'll be like, oh, but I came all the way here. You can't just take one more item, even though oftentimes it would be like a whole couch or just (laughs) literal trash. Yeah. yeah, they would make the story of like, oh, well, but this is my like mom's. She's a cancer patient or just something along those lines of just like, <laughs> the most irrelevant please things. feel bad and take this. I drove five minutes from my house to here with all of these boxes of garbage. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it costs money to get excess trash carried away or even certain items like a couch, like a television, like appliances, you would have to literally pay a service to come and pick it up, right? I think a lot of people use these donation centers as a way to get rid of stuff for free rather than bear the actual responsibility of these things that they owned and no longer want. It makes me really angry. We had a, th- a large thrift store pretty close to our last home in Burdenhand, and they had a huge dock for donations and like bins as well out there, but you know, during like peak pandemic time when, especially like during Delta, where things would just close because they didn't have enough staff or because like the city itself was closing things, I would go by there and I would just see tons of just, I mean, trash tossed there, whether it was broken furniture or like a stove or 
stuffing garbage bags that were like ripped open already, like out in the rain and the snow. And I realized that like people use a lot of these thrift stores as trash cans. I mean, I would say at least 60% of the donations that we received were unsellable. If not and more. not even just because of any guidelines that our management just didn't want us to put out for whatever reason. Like sometimes it would be actual trash, shattered glass, stuff covered in dirt, mud, rat droppings, just stuff that you wouldn't think to donate because nobody would be able to use that yeah just using it as trash i mean i remember you telling me once when you were still working there that you dreaded when like the auctioneer companies would show up so oh yeah in pennsylvania like people don't really have estate sales as much as they have these like auctions of their estates it's so strange it's like such a pennsylvania thing and so it's it's basically the same as an estate sale but with like bidding and you know be able to five five six six like that kind of thing <laughs> but it's essentially like the same kind of thing and you were saying that you dreaded when they would show up oh because it would be large trailers and it would almost all be trash absolute trash or or just like a large amounts of huge furniture that they would expect one person like sometimes we would we would be lucky to have two DSRs on at a time um, while we would work, but like they they weren't allowed like customers and donors like we're not allowed inside the back, of course, for liability reasons and just also because they're not allowed. But like we in the back had no room to store any of this furniture if we even wanted to, and then on the floor it was just a small square, like smaller than a living room really to store all of this furniture that they expected us to keep. And you were saying that you would receive a lot. I mean, yes, you would receive broken things, things that were unsafe for humans to be around or things that were moldy, that kind of thing. But you also just really received a lot of stuff that like you couldn't sell anyway. Like I remember you telling me like alcohol. Yeah, people would donate, I mean, just pretty much anything like alcohol, guns we've gotten grenades people have donated dildos plenty of sex toys have been donating to us um not sure why because some of them look like they might have been used (laughs) some of them also were like um like once were alive like animal like things like like just like weird oddities of that that sort and like we just simply were not allowed to put out like there was this like baby shark thing and like some sort of terrarium like surprised that it didn't break in its transit to that place um but yeah it's weird it's like once again it goes back to this idea that people are using these donation centers as as like a i don't know like a dumping site right and so anyone with any common sense would know that most in fact i'm just gonna go ahead and say all thrift stores because i've never seen this anywhere can't sell guns can't sell dildos can't sell open bottles of alcohol or alcohol at all um and so once it's just like oh i'm just want to get rid of this with the least amount of effort possible right we also would get a a lot of food which i didn't understand why they would donate food not to to a a thrift store when there's honestly like four food banks within a five mile or less radius of where we worked i have seen some other stores um, in this chain put food out on the shelves but at our specific location they didn't want us putting food out on the shelves and i still don't see a lot I, of it and i just think it would be way better if it was donated to a food bank i also like i wasn't even like 
it was really unclear as to whether it was a, a like a, a rule itself or an unspoken rule of we're not allowed to sell this or if it like dylan had said like if it was just strictly our store or not i mean everybody if it was like a snack that i didn't have to cook you're basically donating to dylan because i would eat it <laughs> so <laughs> like potato chips not like a can of beans but if like you donated fruit roll-ups you bet i ate them <laughs> people donated fruit roll-ups yeah, yeah like gummies, stuff like that potato chips <sighs> bush's baked beans i mean i do love bush's Chef baked Boyardee. <laughs> wow yeah i mean it was. It doesn't surprise me, but yet you two would tell me stories that were pretty, pretty upsetting because I just think it comes back to people kind of being lazy, kind of not wanting to think things through, kind of ultimately not wanting to bear the responsibility of the stuff in their lives, but not like taking a moment to say like, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't have had all this stuff in the first place if all I'm going to do is ditch it on yeah. someone else, make it someone else's problem. Okay, so... Let's say, you know, some stuff arrives and, you know, it's not guns or dildos or food and it's not all broken or moldy or poopy, which I know you guys get a lot of too. Oh, yeah. Um, what happens next? Like, in your opinion, what percentage of stuff that comes through that door that's not gross or unsellable, like because it's dangerous or just not like something you can carry, what percent of that other like decent stuff actually gets out onto the sales floor um i would say the majority of that stuff 80 to 90 percent of it um the main things that they didn't want us putting out not because it was unsafe for any logical reason was things like cassette tapes and books with yellow pages for some reason they didn't want that out um occasionally it would just be like oh, there's a small piece of paint missing on this ceramic figure, therefore you can't put it out. Um, the rules kind of changed a lot. They varied all the time. So one thing that wouldn't you wouldn't be able to put out one day, you could put out the next, just depending on who was putting your bin out on the floor. It was really irritating. Um, Plus, we had incentives that we were supposed to meet, so we tried to get everything out that we possibly could to fill a bin, even if it was not really supposed to go out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with those incentives, it like it ran the risk of potentially losing your position um, as like a sorter, whether it be like wares or textile sorting. Um, so you, like Dylan had said, you just want to put out as much of anything that you could especially if it looked good to get your bin to be passed and what happened to the things that didn't pass so there would just be these giant uh gay lords i would say they were probably like six by six by yeah. six something like that um that would be placed in between the sorter's desks and then we would just literally throw Gosh. things in there like anything it, and, it could be complete trash i would try to if it was trash trash i would try to throw it in the trash can next to me but because they wanted us to work so fast i couldn't do things like empty my trash all the time because it would take up my time for making and filling bins so usually we would just throw it in the gay lords and then well, where would the gay lords go well that would be something that i would take care of as a dsr so um we had a lot of um shitheads uh that we worked with um as sorters mainly really just one he would just throw anything and everything into the gay lords which there is some sort of like um a sort 
sorting thing that you have to do with that as well. Uh, you cannot throw glass of any kind in those because uh, it runs the risk of getting hurt for people that deal with the Gaylords after. Yeah, there um, was a second, um, quote-unquote, second sort, which is what we called it, yeah, for the glass. That's, yeah, that would also be something that I would well, have there was to, supposed to be. sort and deal with as well. But um, any other sharps that you had, like w- even down to forks and butter knives, you weren't allowed to throw into the second sort. There was a sharps container or just literally it was a, a box, a cardboard box that we would put our trash bag into and once that got full you would let me or the other dsr on shift know to get that tape it up um and throw it towards the back near the truck which had our sharp second sort but um we would have to it, you could not allow the second sort to get too full because we also had to put like um one of those plastic skids on top for whenever we took it and did our truck because then that would just go to Pretty much, I guess, that would be where they would dump the rest of it for the outlets that they would Yeah, like the bins. To, the bins. To my knowledge... Yeah. That's where the, it would go. That's where it would go. But I'm pretty sure that they do other things with it. I'm just not really sure. The, all they would say is that they would send it to the outlet center, but there's no way that they were sending it all there. There was definitely some sorting going on in the back of those outlet centers with some of that stuff. Yeah, where it would be further. Yeah. So in the Gaylord, would you divide? Would you separate out textiles and clothing? So yeah, that's a completely different section in the back room. So all clothing is going to be in a separate second sort from the wares and of course people would oftentimes donate trash bags that had both textiles and wares in them so dsrs if they had time would try to go through and separate the wares from the textile to make it easier on the wares sorters but depending on how busy in the volume of stuff that we were getting that day that wasn't always possible plus you know you just sometimes miss it so Either way, whether a wear sorter or a DSR had to sort through them, if there was textile in the wares, we would have to walk it back to the second sort or just give it to um, whoever is a clothing sorter back there to sort through then because they weren't supposed to be in Mm. the same gay lord. I will say, having been to the bins for various different thrift stores that operate that way, I... I have noticed so much trash in there, like mm-hmm. straight up trash. Yeah. Not things that got broken in transit or feel valueless to me, like literally trash. Yeah, like, like a, food a wrapper wrappers. or yeah. just like, uh, like crumbled up papers because that's exactly what it would be. Like like Dylan had said earlier, you as a sorter, like a wear sorter, you don't have time to really um, go through and do all of it because you have to price things and you have to get it in your bin. You have to like even just simply turning around or bending down takes so much time even if you don't think so it could be a millisecond but it takes a lot of time off of looking through your spring bin to put into the plastic rolling cart that goes out on the floor to be processed not to mention you have to take a lot of time to typically clean stuff because even if stuff is sellable it is donated to us in the worst condition oh i believe it and they only give us like an off-brand windex to clean everything and they don't even give us our own um rags in fact all of our rags are donated so if people would donate washcloths and you it looked like your washcloth supply was getting low you would take some of those for your own supply and it's not like we had a washing machine so once once um a washcloth was too dirty we would just throw it in the trash or the the second sort yeah 
because there was nothing else that we could do with it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't surprise me either. I will say, I think that the location the two of you were working in was like a little bit of a tighter ship, even though I know it was really dysfunctional and chaotic because the location near our house, everything was so filthy. Like I'm a big fan of the whole wares section. Like that's where I go first. So I'm always looking for glassware and kitchen stuff and what have you. And like things would be filthy. Like the kind of filthy that they get because they've been sitting in storage for a really long time. And like in someone's basement or shed. Always wash your thrifted glasswares, please. Please don't ever. Seriously, anything of that ilk for sure. Even if it looks clean, you need to wash it. It's not. It has Windex residue, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, So anyway, I thought it was really interesting that the two of you were cleaning stuff because that's definitely not been my universe experience well, there's also, also yeah there's also some guidelines like you can't just put anything in your bin so somebody someone else then puts out the bin on the floor for you yeah. and then they have to sign off on it and you can't have more than like two defective even though the definition of defective in this case is very broad um you can't have more than two defective items otherwise your bin fails and it doesn't count towards the amount of bins that you did that day so but- say that you got 10 bins out, but one of your bins had three defective items in it. They would only be counted as nine bins. So what would qualify something in the wear section as being defective? So, so something that would qualify that way would be anything like that's like cracking or breaking already and then um, like being to be put out on the floor. Uh, something in your bin that like literally has shattered, whether it be glass or like some form of like plastic item. That would be um, out of your control, like if that happened as the person was rolling it out onto the floor, right? Well, something like that wouldn't be like bad. Like you wouldn't get in trouble for that, or like if it was somebody's fault, like putting it out. Like, I mean, associate. But- it very much so dependent on who was putting out your bin yeah. because something like I said earlier, like the pages of a book being yellow. You never knew when the pages were considered too yeah. yellow because, I mean, to me, even if the pages are extremely yellow, you can still read the book. Who cares? Why would that be an binding, issue? It should be fine. But yeah, especially if it's a cool vintage, vintage book. I mean, are, are we, suckers for that. We yeah. had a coworker who would come back and bring back all these slightly yellowed books, and he, would and me he yeah, and he would be like, "Next time, I'm gonna fail your cart if you put any more in these because." Meanwhile, Somebody across from me puts out everything that's like dirty and disgusting and only has four large objects in his bin, which is not allowed. Okay, so let's, the bin thing is really, really stressful, but I do want to put a pin in defective. We're going to come back to that because I you've told Dustin some stories that make him tear up over. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the bins because this is like something that clearly is like, I don't know. It's at the center of everything you do yeah. every day on this job. And it seems like to be, it's a wild source of anxiety. Like oh, yeah. I'm feeling anxious just sitting here talking to you about it. So, okay. You've made it pretty clear that there's sort of like, I don't know, like a quota, a productivity target you yes. have to hit. How many, how many of these would you have to get out every day? Technically we would have to get out at least 10 a day, but even somebody like me or Ryan, who typically excel in any of the jobs we have, were unable to meet that goal, especially because it was very dependent on how many wares we were getting a day. And even if you got a ton of wares through the door, that doesn't mean that they're not trash. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are able-bodied people, and this place is known for hiring people who have disabilities. So I just feel like it was a really unfair quota for people to reach. Um 
And then they also had another thing put in place called an incentive where you could get a small bonus if you were continually making this amount every day. So at the beginning, that was 12 bins, and then they actually upped it to 14, which I can't even fathom because there has not been a single day where I have ever even gotten close to 14. And we oftentimes actually would resort to faking the tags and signing each other's tags so it would look like we were getting 10 bins a day because no matter how hard you would work, Sundays you just couldn't even get seven. Yeah, and the thing with that is the the, the reason of be, not being able to get those, um, meeting those goals was like Dylan had said about not getting wares that were even remotely good enough or just not getting them at all. Um, we were also forced um, to do everybody else's job. Like before we were, before I was a DSR, I was a wear sorter and uh, some of them would just be gone with the wind and our second sort would be too full for both stations for the wares. And somebody has to deal with that or else it's just going to overflow and you can't get rid of your basically what they would consider trash you know um you you need to get all the good stuff out and you can't get the bad you can't sort through the bad without or sort through the good without sorting through the bad so it made it hard even meeting that we were also told that we had to pick up the production associate slack and take out a lot of the bins for each other or just rearrange the the floor Yeah, I mean, I'm going to tell you, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in a few, but I, last year, I want to say, I I did a little bit of an episode about this company, not an episode, really like a segment, and I read all of their Glassdoor reviews, which I don't know if you two know what Glassdoor is. Oh, don't worry, I have read them as well, and probably left one. (laughs) I mean, like, they were horrible, and like, extremely horrible, whereas like, I've worked I'm specifically thinking of one company I worked for that is really, really terrible. And their score was still higher because they were at least having the wherewithal to bully their employees into writing fake positive reviews. Whereas the company where the two of you worked was like, we don't even give a fuck. Like, we're just, we don't care. And I mean, they they were terrible. Nothing about them surprised me, especially after hearing from the two of you. So you have to get 10 bins, 12, 14, whatever. If you don't get the 10, which doesn't give you, like, an incentive, what happens it, to you? It would uh, run the possibility of losing your position there and whether you even just lose your job altogether, but you would just lose that position um, or just be targeted by management, really. That's exactly what we were the whole I've, time we were there. I've never seen somebody actually truly lose their position. I don't know if that's a real thing or they just held that over our heads all the time, which is really messed up. But yeah, you would get oftentimes targeted by management. Um, Like, for example, if you would be talking while you were working and they felt that you weren't being productive enough, you definitely would have somebody come up to you and complain about you simply talking, even though there was never a stated rule about talking to your coworkers. Um, So that that was not fun. I mean, as soon as I hear about a job where you get in trouble for talking to your coworkers, I mean, I've I've had that job too. I'm like, that's a shitty place to work. Like trying to control human behavior of adults as if they're children is always it's always a hallmark of a toxic work comp- oh. work culture that treats you all as 
I don't know, just like automatons and not actual people. Well, speaking of treating us like children, we would have to write on our timesheet because they would give us a timesheet when we would leave to go and use the bathroom. We would have to document that specific amount of time so it wouldn't count towards the amount of time spent sorting in our uh, bins per hour. Yeah, with bathroom breaks, it would be break like 15s or 30s where it would just even be like, like how I said earlier, we would be taken away from our, our stations uh, where we would be sorting to do production associates jobs or to do whatever busy work our manager would make us do instead of herself or anybody else. I mean, I slowly started hating being a wear sorter to the point where I would be glad when they would pull me to do something else just because being a wear sorter was so stressful because I never knew if I was going to reach 10 a day and I was always really anxious that they would find out that we were faking our tags. So I would be happy to go and do something like hang clothes on a rack for the day because I wouldn't have to worry about that quota. Yeah, no, it sounds really, really stressful. And like, how big are these bins? Um, I'd say uh, they're probably like, I don't know, probably like two feet by one and a half. And then it's 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 pretty deep. Mm-hmm. So... Um, like, it, I'd say, again, like, another two feet deep. Um, and, and you were saying that there were a lot of rules. Like, you couldn't just fill it up with large objects. If you yeah. did, it would have you would have to have it um, full from the bottom up. So, of course, you would have to have, like, a bunch of, like, your smaller items. And you can have, like, a couple of books and things like that to fill it up. Um, and then any of your larger items, you could have, like, I'd say it was probably, like, two or three large items per bin. Maybe even less, depending on how big. But, like, they would have to be at the top. You cannot have them start at the bottom. Everything else has to be smaller at the bottom, midway, medium size, and then everything large would have to be at the top um, just because you cannot have, like, it taking the bulk at the bottom and making it seem like it's, like, a false... Yeah, this is so ridiculous. I mean, just, I'm sorry, but this is, like, you're all being treated like children all the time. It's, like, upsetting me. (laughs) You were spending more energy playing the stacking Olympics. Like, how can I stack these objects on top of each other to make it seem like it's fuller than it is than actually getting stuff out? Because it... I mean, like I said, it really depends on who was putting your bin out. And God forbid the manager put your bin out because oh, and, you yeah. would be held at with some high scrutiny there. Yeah. Yeah, it seems, It seems. I mean, it's unfair in like a, a wide variety of ways as jobs like this always are, right? Uh, it's unfair because you can't control what's coming your way. If it was a slow day and no one dropped anything off... Which could happen, right? Like if it was oh, it happened a lot. Times than not. Then what would happen on those so days? So basically, she competition. She had this ordering thing. She would do her order, which would be like she would order raw textile for people who are um, doing the like clothes sorting, which honestly didn't need to happen. We got more clothes than we did wears. The yeah, there was the always a and ton of clothes she would being do donated. Would just order textile, and it would uh, really take up too much space in the back area like in the back back area where we weren't sorting where it would just literally be gay lords of raw wares or whatever raw textile and things um it just like took up too much space so she would order um and then we would get this like we would have a really slow day so we would be going through the um raw gay lords and the thing with that is like if the dsrs aren't getting the um bins for the um the, the wear sorters fast enough it would be a game like it would be a competition for the wear sorters to run back 
quickly to get a good bin or to go through a good raw wares um, Gaylord. And the thing with that is they would just kind of leave it in disarray and, and our manager would get mad if we didn't go through it all, which would be a waste of time because the, at the bottom of the barrel is just garbage. And once again, this is supposed to be an environment for people who aren't able to work other jobs. And yet we were expected to lift really heavy items, sort through broken glass, compete with each other essentially. Like how can you literally grab things out of a tall gay lord and sometimes have to jump in and that's not something that everybody can do or should be expected to do especially at a place that promises something else yeah and then with um it then out of the next day it could be a very heavy day so we she would while we would get this uh truck and i would unload the truck everything would be in the back um, I would go through it, try to unload these Gaylords as fast as possible because we reuse them for our second sort once they're all unloaded. Um, and so if we're having a really busy day the next day, our back room is full of raw textile that we just got from, I don't know, DC or something. Um, and then our stuff that would be coming in from donations because the next day, of course, we're, we're thirsty for donations. Um, then it's just dropped off all the way to the street like and and then we have no say as the dsrs or as the sorters to say like hey we have no room for this can we stop taking these donations we need to get like approval from management even though we have no room to walk to clarify they can send their excess donations to other stores in the chain so um the stuff could be shipped off but it just never was a really great uh, system because like he was saying um, we would have a ton of donations one day, so management would decide that we wouldn't need to order any raw textile or wares for the following week, especially wares, and then we would be dry. <laughs> so where were these raw textiles and wares, meaning unsorted, right? Uh, well, they would they would kind of be sorted from like these like bigger, like like much larger donation centers, but not sorted to the point because you would still get garbage in them. They would just put like. Basically, when we would have an excess of donations from our door, we would put um, everything in these Gaylords and write raw wares or raw textile on them so we could get them out of the way and not, like, if we didn't have room to put them for people to sort through. Like, if we, say, had only, like, two sorters that day, of course, they're not going to be able to go through all of it at that time. Whereas, like, if we had the four, like, on a full shift, you know what I mean? So we would put them in these Gaylords and then get them ready to go on the truck to ship to other like don't send to other stores so um that's basically what they would do they would ship them like if they had an excess that week they would ship them to other stores which would be like us that week or something like that and it's really interesting because i think this is something that the average person would not know i think that they think when they're dropping stuff off at one of these stores that it's going to be sold back to someone in the community but the reality is it's being moved around all over the place to kind of maximize sales. Yeah, it can really well, reach anywhere in the yeah. Keystone or even other states, genuinely. Let's take a moment to thank some of the incredible small businesses who keep Close Horse going via their generous Patreon support. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, 
minimal carbon footprint. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room all while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the Party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer. But Gabriella is also a radical feminist micro-business. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the earth needs. The one-woman band to help you build your own brand. She can take your fashion line from just a concept and do your sketches, pattern making, grading, sourcing, cutting, and sewing. The second option is for those who aren't trying to start a business and who just want ethical garments. Gabriella Antonis will create custom made-to-measure garments just for you. Her goal is to help help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. And that's Gabriella with one L. Gotta get that spelling right. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpagelifeandstyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Gentle Vibes Vintage. We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage, creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at thumbprintdetroit. 
High Energy Vintage is a fun and funky vintage shop located in Somerville, Massachusetts, just a few minutes away from downtown Boston. They offer a highly curated selection of bright and colorful clothing and accessories from the 1940s to the 1990s for people of all genders. Husband and wife duo Wiley and Jessamy handpick each piece for quality and style with a focus on pieces that transcend trends and will find a home in your closet for many years to come. In addition to clothing, the shop also features a large selection of vintage vinyl and old school video games. Find them on Instagram at High Energy Vintage, online at highenergyvintage.com, and at markets in and around Boston. Another thing is, is that even if something goes out on the floor, if it's not sold usually within a week or two, based on the color of the tag, we then have to go out and take it off the floor and throw it into second sort, and then it will no longer be sold at the store. And it is typically sent off to the outlet center, as far as I know, but I also know that there's a bunch of textile ways um, with this company. And this goes for both wares and textile. If it's not sold, we take it off the floor in like two weeks yeah or less sometimes less so i mean if the shelves are or the racks are really full we'll just take stuff off yeah that's another thing she'll take us away from our task to just go throw stuff in these carts to take to second sort in the back i mean this doesn't surprise me at all you know i'm sure that the two of you see a lot of this rhetoric on social media that is like Thanks to pe- like thrifting being more popular, there's nothing good left to buy. There were like there's this implication that like the stores are running out of stuff because people are going shopping there or reselling. But the reality is it's like a steady flow of well, stuff. And yeah. the majority of our customers, I would say, aren't resellers. There are people who would come every day, sometimes multiple times a day, who we know are resellers, but for the most part it's just regular people shopping. Yeah, and a lot of them are regulars, but they just really like to frequent frequent this store because they know, I mean, where we were working, it was like a pretty upper upper class area. A yeah. lot of people have really decent things, whether it be clothes or just wares in general. So um, obviously, it's, it's a spot to be. Um, and a lot of these people were just kind of hoarders they would just like buy like a cart full of stuff and just like throw it in their van and it would just stay there really like it wasn't like all of them were reselling genuinely yeah i mean the reality is i have a lot of friends who are resellers right there are a lot of people who've been on this show who are part of the community who are resellers and very few of them go to thrift stores especially the one where the two of you worked to buy stuff for resale they go to the bins for sure which i am like good for you because you know what that stuff's going off to the landfill or overseas and that's hard to sort through i think it's almost a talent to sort through that stuff and find something that you can repair and just the idea that you would be stuff that had been there for a week or two weeks or way less than either of those time frames would be pulled and sent off to the bins because you needed room for new stuff that came in is just one more indicator of like there's so much stuff. And I know, you know, you were obviously being trained to be really picky with the wares. They're super picky about the clothing too. Oh, without a doubt. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anything, even if it had like one like hole, um, like, you know, you can a get away with- stain, really. A single stain, really. single stain, yeah. And I, I, I'm somebody who is, I don't, if it's a really cool print or just a really cool t-shirt or hoodie or anything, like I will buy it because I can still make it work, you know, like- I don't care if it has a stain. I can come out with some shout. Or even if you just rock it with the stain or the hole. 
it doesn't really matter. It's it shows its its history and just its wear. It's it's awesome. And Plus, we would get like a lot of vintage T-shirts that if they were just given a good wash, they would be great. But because we don't have that ability, uh, we would so just sad. second sort them, which is why the bins you often mm-hmm. will find a lot of those. It's true. What's the thing that you were forced to send off for second sort that just like broke your heart? Um, one time I found this vintage Slayer t-shirt and it was just, it was really disgusting, but I know that if it had a good soak and then wash, it would have been perfectly fine, but <laughs> it made me so sad because I knew I was never going to see that t-shirt yeah, again. Yeah, I know that one really broke Dustin's heart. Yeah, <laughs> that, hurt, that one hurt me because I, I was just like, I mean, you could have easily I just- I still think about it. Yeah, you could have easily just like figured out a way to get away with that one really. What about you? Anything you've encountered that you had to reject that made you sad? It was it was honestly just like a lot of like really cool animal like uh like animal figures because like if we we weren't allowed to keep them on our desks because it's property of the the store that we were um despite working it at being donated so, for free. Yeah, it just exactly despite it being for free, given like given to them for free, so we weren't able to just like have them chill there until we found. Um, like a, a set to connect it with or um, just anything to because we weren't also allowed to put anything out for lower than a dollar or 99 cents so like it wouldn't be able to be like 50 cents or 25 like apparently there's no value in that so let's talk about the pricing because this is another one when when people are getting riled up on social media and want to scapegoat someone that resellers or new secondhand shoppers are scapegoated for rising thrift store costs. Now, I've already like debunked that here on the show. Um, it has nothing to do with inventory availability, which I know you two will agree with. There's yes. ample stuff yeah, out there. So there's not much. a shortage. So who determines the prices of the things as they go on the floor? Did you do that I mean, as where? Yes, yeah. that was our job. However, we were continually pushed by management to raise the prices, and it wasn't – for the sake of resellers, I, you, overall, we were told to just up the prices in general. And there were times where if you would price something um, and whoever was putting out your cart felt that that price was too low, they would bring it back to you and have you price it higher. And are you would, giving guidelines around it? I mean, we were. it was literally yeah. two laminated papers of just like, it would be like, it would say mugs. Yeah, it was very one ninety nine to two ninety nine. Like it was a very raw, like broad, like Dylan said, broad. And it's like you, as a person, as somebody who who thrifts, you obviously would know like what you're willing to spend on something. Like that's kind of what I would base my pricing off of. I would just say hell to the to the paper because <laughs> like I mean like I'm not gonna price something that's not even worth five ninety nine. You know, like mm-hmm. to be six ninety nine or more. You know, right, like, right. So, and that's what they would force us to do, and it's just like disgusting because it's all all about profit, obviously, Plus, not about. It's not. It's not like we had a long period of time to ponder upon each item and yeah. its worth. Like you have to slap that sticker on there real quick and, and throw it in. Yeah. The Mm-hmm. So, I mean, whatever you found in the moment, that's going to be the yeah. price. Well, especially if you're being forced to work so fast. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I know for a fact uh, that they didn't pay you very well for this job or Mm-mm. anyone else, I mean, right? But this is like kind of, to do it well, is highly skilled work. 
It is. Yeah, the only way you got paid a decent amount was if you met those incentives. So if you worked yourself like a dog. Not to mention, like, they wanted you to be knowledgeable on the items because you want to know what is considered valuable so you can price it higher. But how do they expect us to just know these things? Really, I would just kind of, like, Like, regular off-the-street people. Yeah, I would just kind of stand around and, like, Google it. Like, if it looked, like, pretty old and, like, something that, like, looked valuable, which um kind of jumping to something but like they would make us uh keep anything valuable and put it off to the side like we for the website online website yeah, yeah yep. it would be it would be like anything that was instrument related like anything that was One like time from like they Japan. took those littlest pet shops and i thought i was gonna lose it would my even, mind even went down to legos like you weren't even allowed to put a bag of legos out just because they would take send it to the shop and it would be auctioned it wouldn't be like a regular sale on the shelf and we are the individual stores also had a goal for the amount that you were supposed to be selling online yeah. so it's not like we really had a choice plus if even didn't. if you wanted to put something out on the floor if somebody else noticed it they would go and put it over in yeah. that section in the back so you had a goal of how much you had to pull aside to send to the website yeah, yeah. and i'm pretty sure that the company also offered incentives to <laughs> but we never i think got that. maybe the store manager um something it was um, definitely for that. yeah for the amount that was sold on the website i mean that's really interesting to me too because i will say as a longtime thrifter i have seen specifically with that chain the amount of i mean i hate to say valuable because value is on the eye of the beholder right. but of i guess valuable is the only adjective i could think of right now that kind of product no longer being found in those stores unless like for me just as a regular thrifter i would be like someone missed this in sort like i could tell yeah. um whereas i could go to other especially when we were living out in Lancaster county go to all the other mennonite owned thrift yeah. stores and you would find all the coolest shit all the time right but like i wasn't seeing that at that place yeah, right because they didn't want it, you to find it in the no, store they, they could want you price to... it for the same for a high price to put it in the store but they would rather auction it off on the they website can get a much more like value off of that you know because they're just everybody's competing online it's mm-hmm. and it's time so like they'll do these drops like live drops out of nowhere and if you get it you get it if you don't like sorry yeah it's so interesting so once again this is a company that is technically a non-profit but well, it's well, I know. I mean, we've <laughs> debunked that quite a bit here. But I, this company portray is technically by law a nonprofit, but operates just like a big corporation. Yeah. Uh, really does prioritize profits over people in many different regards all the time and does this a lot of sort of like charity washing to its own business. So another thing that I've heard a lot about this company specifically and not from the two of you, actually from other people who work in the reselling space who have heard stories or had interactions, is that this company is obsessed with loss prevention. As oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there were more even cameras if you... on the employees than there were on the floor. I swear to you. Oh, 100%. And there was definitely more concern about employees stealing than customers stealing. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I've heard stories about, like, like they... I mean, listen, I worked for a really evil retail company for a long time when you were little, Dylan, and every... Cu- Every employee there was just a potential criminal yeah, that's in the eyes of corporate, right? But at least you could say, like, okay, well, this company, like, actually paid to have this product made. 
everything in the store they paid for, right? So, like, if someone steals it, like, they lose money. But when we're talking about a thrift store, they got their inventory for free. Well, if you were to buy something on the clock, so even if you're on your 15-minute break, that doesn't count. You'd have to be on your 30 because you'd have to be clocked out. If you bought something, you would be immediately fired. Wow. It's considered stealing in their eyes. Even, even though, though you, you paid spent for money, it. Yep. It's, it's, even it's if you're on your break. For them. Yeah, even if you're on your break, um, if it's not a clocked out break, you cannot buy something. That makes yeah. no sense there to me. There was also, for, for workers, um, there also had to be, we tried to get around it as much as possible just because, like, there were a lot of things that, like, we knew people would probably buy, but at the same time, it was really, like, something that, like, we really had an eye for, you know? So we would like really hope that it would still be there. So something that we would do was like if we saw that um, there was something coming in and we were friends with this sorter, we'd just be like, hey, can you like put this off to the side? And whenever I'm going on break, would you mind putting like getting somebody to actually put it out? Which so, wasn't allowed, but yeah, we did but it. Anyway. We did it anyway because <laughs> we weren't allowed to just buy these things. And it would just like we said, be considered stealing. And for everyone concerned, most likely the stuff that we had our eyes on was not something that you would want anyway. So because <laughs> I know people I get weird about the thought of employees buying things as well. But it's a very niche thing that nobody else would also, really Also, real talk. What's the incentive to work at a thrift store? where you're going to be paid very little and worked like a dog if you exactly. can at least get first Something, dibs on cool yeah. shit which yeah. we still didn't because we, still we didn't. had to wait yeah or we had to wait or it would be taken from us literally be taken from us to be given to a stupid shop it's so interesting because that's another thing that i'll hear i mean every time i post about secondhand shopping and the value of living a secondhand first lifestyle it's like the same predictable arguments come my way the same different trolls same arguments come right that there's nothing left in thrift stores because of resellers. There's nothing left in thrift stores because people who have money to shop somewhere else are thrifting, as if that, that's not the point of secondhand first yeah. lifestyle anyway. And the third thing that I always hear is, well, it's because the people who work there take all the good oh, stuff. We also, would be like, looked at disgustingly if we were still in our work uniform shopping off the clock. I mean, do you think that every employee here is like a hipster? <laughs> like, exactly. do you really think that everyone here is like, ooh, I love this 1970s vase? Like, no. Like, most people there are like, oh, great, a book. Or, or <laughs> DVD. Like, some, like, we had a coworker that was just obsessed with DVDs. Like, good for him. But, like, a lot of these people don't like what you like. Like, they're not going to jump on that ni- that 90s Nike hoodie, man. You know what I mean? Like, it's just other cool things. Yeah, I mean, that's like a really valuable thing to point out, too. I do think that people think that the, the back house of all of these different thrift stores is just filled with hipsters. Like, this isn't a coffee shop. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and also, like, some of the stuff, like, that we weren't allowed to put out, like, like we said, we had to, like, kind of throw in second sort. Or, like, we had, um, like, any jewelry um, there we weren't allowed to put out. Um, that had to go on the website. It had to, it had to go on the website. So what they would do was they'd force you to ruin this jewelry because it would just be thrown into once again a cardboard box with other jewelry so it's just tangled like whether it be necklaces chains or just like anything like they don't even know the value of it at that point and you would even know that it's like going to turn your finger green you know but even still you're unable 
to put it out or make it like in the like glass casing that they have in the front. It just had to be thrown. I have noticed that that chain specifically has far less jewelry than they had when I was a well, teenager. Yeah, and the jewelry now that they, they do sell have, like this weird cheap jewelry yeah, that they like get from brand. another company. Okay, yeah. so that's interesting too because something that I was not always the case with this place, but that I saw slowly creeping into a bigger and bigger thing is that they sell a lot of brand new stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean the like, whole checkout area is stuff that you could basically buy at the Dollar Tree. Yeah, Why do is. they have that? I'm not sure. And I, to my knowledge, they spend a lot of money on these goods as well. And it's stuff that we will get through the door. You know, and it's still in brand new condition. You know it's what so I mean? It's so odd. Did, did, when you were ringing people up, did you find a lot of people purchasing that stuff? Um, Honestly, yeah. Yeah, especially because it was at the checkout location. It was convenient for a lot of people. Yeah. And it would be really random stuff. Like, it would be like... Tongs. Tongs. I was just about to Always say tongs. tongs. Random, Always tongs. Yeah, random kitchen stuff. Like, really Ice bad skincare trays. items. Like, really Wash bad offs. makeup wipes and chips people love the chips well, they, they pop were... open a bag before they even got to check <laughs> yeah. out sometimes if you're not on like a big day of thrifting you get really hungry along the way i tried to bring Some... my own snacks but yeah. um you know i don't know if your location did this but you know how a lot of locations in this chain now get a lot of stuff from target that's like brand new did you guys ever get that um I haven't seen us get a lot of stuff from target or like zara like some other chains do um, however, I do know that's a thing at other stores. Yeah, I mean, when we went to that, remember we went to that Salvation Army in yeah. Lancaster, and it was like two aisles of just Zara. I yeah, mean, even in it's the awful. one that we go to in that same area where we worked, um, they had a ton of Zara, like a lot of Zara, Which, and they up-priced it. Oh, like, totally. It was like $100 for this one Zara jacket. And it was all like extremely flawed. Yeah, like, like yeah. it was already Outlet pilling or something. You know of. what I mean? And it, what's interesting to me is that I know that that stuff at both the Salvation Army in Lancaster and the one in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, that's what we're talking about, uh, that was being shipped in from somewhere because there are no Zaras in Central PA that I'm yeah. aware of. Right? I know of. No. I, I right. Even. I mean, and just to think about how many Salvation Army stores there are in the United States, for all of them to have enough Zara overstock, markdowns, whatever it was, to fill two, three, four aisles. Yeah. I mean, it's gross. It's, it's gross. It's really gross. Because I said two aisles that Lancaster, but that was in the women's section. You go over the men's, there were like two more aisles. Yeah, there was like four sections for the men's. It was insane. I had no idea that that was even a thing. Right. I mean... For one, that's taking up space that could be for like quality secondhand goods, right? And two, it's Zara and these other fast fashion chains using thrift stores as a dumping ground as well. Yeah. And I mean, maybe these thrift stores are paying a little bit for that stuff or maybe they're getting it for free, but it's pretty, pretty ridiculous. But even the thing with that is that like we would go like if on a good month, maybe we'll go like twice or three times you know, to a thrift store, and we'll see the same, like, things of Zara, like, every time we would go. We would well, yeah. It's so always it's like, ripped apart. I mean, I don't know anybody who would buy any of that, especially because it's being sold at retail price, like yeah, $60 and higher for things that the threads are all coming loose, there's stains, there's Already holes, pilling. it's paper thin, like, it's it's awful. And it, I mean, it's still in the thrift store. It's not even in the Zara yeah, I know. I The Zara one is really interesting to me because when we would go to the Salvation Army in Lancaster, 
I would see like 20, 30, 40 of the same dress or pair of pants or whatever. And some of it I kind of recognized from Zara from like previous years. And (laughs) I haven't bought anything from Zara in a really long time. But as I talk about on the show a lot, like back when I was at my last job before the pandemic, I was thoroughly depressed all the time. And I would constantly scroll Zara to make myself, I don't know, distracted. And I specifically remember this pair of pants that I ordered and that I couldn't even get my foot in the leg hole because they were so poorly made. And Dustin was like, well, maybe they're children's. And I was like, no, they're adults. But then I was sort of like gaslighting myself and I went back on the site and like, no, they were adult pants. I remember seeing those pants that had been from Zara at this point, like three, four years ago at that Salvation Army, like 20 pairs of them that they you cannot get your foot through the leg hole. <laughs> they were like, remember me, Amanda? Yeah, it was really uh, tra- traumatizing, very triggering of <laughs> a dark time in my life in which I wondered if my feet were too big for pants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I felt that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I have noticed like more and more of that and in the place that the two of you worked as well, specifically with Target stuff, like in the wear section. I would just see so much like stuff still in the package with the Target price tags on, sometimes with the thrift store price tag being higher. Higher. Yeah, yeah. that was um, something that we were told to do as well. Um just uh, like like we said earlier, like just up price, up price, up price. Even if we were told to take, like, try our best to take off the old price tags of things, especially if they're brand new, because we would get a lot of brand new in the box stuff, um, and a lot of it would be like just actual donations, not like from like raw wares, you know. So like people are just overbuying a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So like and not using it, and we were told to scrape off the price tags and up price them even though it's retail pricing so it's already up priced right and once again it's not because there was a shortage of stuff to put out there that you were like oh we need to mark this up because we have too little to sell it's because our manager told us (laughs) greed (laughs) right yeah Yeah. right because of greed right so okay let's talk about what it's like to work there because as you as i mentioned i read the glass store reviews nothing surprised me honestly it reminded me so much of the horrible retail job i worked when dylan was was a baby that i was like oh good to know that this place is like an asshole convention as well um were you paid a lot of money for this job no what not, did you start not at, even Dylan? close. I started at nine seventy five, I believe, for and a cashier, and the highest I was ever paid there was eleven dollars. I okay. started at um, ten as a wear sorter, and then once I finally was able to get my promised position in my interview, um, I was up to eleven twenty five to do pretty hard labor um in the summer months and with very very minimal air conditioning in a very humid state which i was told that they thought that i was incapable of doing the dsr position even though that's Um, what you did yeah even though i had i did it i just didn't have the title or the pay um and i also believe this was because all of our dsrs were male Mm, yeah mm -hmm. but they were like no you can't why would you want to do that, Dylan? You can't do that. Like yeah. anything for the um, the one dollar raise. Yeah, right. it's it was um, stupid. Also, um, not really with our pay, but our PPE that we were given was very minimal as well. Mm, that's a really important call out because, like, the two of you worked there. I mean, it's still the pandemic, but like when it was like even scarier when we didn't have vaccines, even even masks. Really, like there was a pretty big shortage on that even still, I feel like. Yeah, they 
for a while weren't giving us masks we would have to bring our own yeah you the one thing that they would supply pretty readily is the gloves that they would make us wear but um because the price tag stickers would stick so badly to the gloves as well as the tape um we would oftentimes cut holes in the fingers of the gloves to make it easier so we could be more efficient in our work which of course kind of defeats the purpose of the gloves which are supposed to protect us from stuff like broken glass among other things um anything to meet that quota yeah but they were all about the productivity more than the safety and efficiency of everything so you know there goes that um and the gloves that they gave us were just like those fabric rubber dipped gloves they weren't even really thick or durable to get like i was still getting cut from glass and broken glass that i had to deal with in these gaylords of raw wares because people when they would um get them shipped to us they would just kind of throw these boxes of things in and not really realize yeah hey man there's a a whole set of glass in here or something you know i mean we would go through gloves really really fast there was a lot of waste with the gloves because once again once the gloves were done you threw them away yeah yeah i mean it's shock i guess it doesn't shock me but like once again this thrift corporation is not in the business of environmentalism right this is not about sustainability at all and so of course they're not giving you reusable cloths to clean things of course like the same thing they're not giving you reusable reusable gloves of course they're not cleaning these things on site like in a washing machine If you're enjoying this episode, then this is a great time to remind you that my work here at Close Horse is made possible by the support of listeners like you, just like NPR, and these great small businesses. Please go give them your support. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcass.com. Located in Whistler, Canada, Velvet Underground is a velvet jungle full of vintage and secondhand clothing, plants, a vegan cafe, and lots of rad products from other small sustainable businesses. Our mission is to create a brand and community dedicated to promoting self-expression, as well as educating and inspiring a more sustainable and conscious lifestyle, both for the people and the planet. Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. For the month of April, St. Evans is supporting United Farm Workers Foundation, mobilizing farm workers and their organizations across the country to advocate for more equitable policies. New Vintage is released every Thursday at wearstevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at where underscore st dot evens. That's where St. Evans. 
Country Feedback is a mom-and-pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul, and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl, or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family-friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns, handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed, made with love and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns, and thoughtfully made notions. Slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at Republica underscore Unicornia underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com. Picnicware, a slow fashion brand ethically made by hand from vintage and dead stock materials, most notably vintage towels. Founder Danny has worked in the industry as a fashion designer for over 10 years, but started Picnicware in response to her dissatisfaction with the industry's shortcomings. Picnicware recently moved to rural North Carolina, where all their sewing and accessories are now designed and cut, but the majority of their sewing is done by skilled garment workers in New York City. Their customers take comfort in knowing that all their sewists are paid well above New York City minimum wage. Picnicware offers minimal waste and maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Cute Little Ruin is an online shop dedicated to providing quality vintage and secondhand clothing, vinyl, and home items in a wide range of styles and price points. If it's ethical and legal, we try to find a home for it. Vintage style with progressive values. Find us on Instagram at Cute Little Ruin. The Pewter Thimble is a curated secondhand shop based out of Rome, Italy. Owner Desiree Marie Townley has a background in costuming and makeup for dance and opera and focuses on dressing for the character you want to be in the world. Curated collections are dropped in a story sale and always have a specialized theme, like the color palette of Starry Night, the film classic Casablanca, and the children's novel The Secret Garden. Desiree works with local artisans, and pieces are rescued from markets and rehabilitated and resold with worldwide shipping. The Pewter Thimble is a collection of pieces that will have eternal style from the eternal city. Discover more on Instagram at The Pewter Thimble. There are a lot of myths, especially for people who are not avid thrift shoppers, that you've actually helped me debunk a little bit. Like one, this is like a really obvious one, but sometimes people are shocked to hear this. You do not wash the clothing before you sell it. No. no. Right? Um, you do, we don't know why it smells like that. <laughs> it's so weird. We <laughs> don't know why it has that smell. It's so odd, but it's it. universal, right? You don't spray it with anything. The only like, thing nothing. we spray, um, like people might think, like some thrift stores might spray their like plush, like stuffed animals, but... We don't no. even do that. Um, it's literally only certain um, pillows that aren't deemed plushies um, in uh, couches or chairs, but we weren't even putting out many couches at our location because we had no room. 
you know? So. Well, I have noticed that that chain specifically almost never has furniture anymore. I no. think it's also because when you get furniture in, you have to spray it with this solution for bed bugs. And we were told that we couldn't take big items like that because of the amount of that solution that it would use. So I'm guessing that this company just doesn't really want to pay for us to have more of that yeah. because that, to my knowledge, was the biggest reason. Well, and this company is just known for cutting corners. So if they can cut costs, obviously they will. I mean, I, it bums me out because I think probably a lot of totally decent furniture ends up in the landfill then or yeah. abandoned and places of, and then goes to the landfill. Yeah. And a lot of these furnitures, that, like furniture pieces that we were like refusing was like nice vintage pieces you know like whether it be chairs or small love seats that we were just kind of forced to throw out you know yeah i know i mean a lot of stuff just like is ending up being trashed because they won't accept it like i know they won't accept televisions either and it's there's a certain like kind that like will take like plasma or like <laughs> like or nice nice TVs. tvs but like I mean, Smart like, we, TVs, would, if you will. we would kind of get a good amount of those. Like, there was a day where we actually got, like, three TVs, which was really surprising. But, like, who is donating their plasma TVs that often? You know what I mean? Well, like, I hope they aren't. I hope that people could use a TV for more than a couple years. Well, but we exactly, know that people are terrible you know? sometimes about that kind of stuff. Um, Another thing is, like, holiday decorations. Did you guys see a lot of those? Oh, my gosh. I mean, there was a pack-away specifically for Christmas decorations. We would do that with Halloween and other holidays. But for the most part, there was such an extreme amount of Christmas stuff to the point where, like, pretty much every day we would receive Christmas stuff. And it was really, really irritating when half the wares you got that day were all Christmas decorations. Well, I'm like we, triggered thinking about it. So they don't it. count then towards something, your bin. No, we can't put them out until well, the Christmas season. There was season. something that we we if we got. I thought what it, what was it? Uh, four boxes of pack away gave you an equation to a bin. Yeah, like you had to have like a ton of but Christmas stuff for them to count that it. That day, you have to get four boxes of Christmas pack away. So Not, you're wasting uh, your time. Yeah. And you have to ask a manager to sign off on it, and they're always hard to find. So. Yeah, yeah, like oh, and something else you had to ask your manager for was gloves, um, tape, uh, anything of that sort. Because guess they locked it all up. Of course they for did. whatever reason. So that did. would uh, inhibit your productivity for that day as well, and it would take like seven times to ask the same manager for said glove or uh, tape. I mean, in my experience, a company that treats you like children or criminals or both uh, is always rotten. It's like they're showing who they really are, which are like rotten, distrustful people. Yeah. You know, um, who would do who would do nefarious things if given the chance. Like that's basically what they're revealing who they are. Yeah, and I mean like they were doing some nefarious things with with those chances, honestly. Yeah. Um, well, do you have anything to say to people about like one, we'll start with this. What gets donated and how they could do better as people who are um, donating. Please. please go through yeah. your garbage. Do not just donate your um, <laughs> torn up papers. There was literally a time where I had to help this woman whose first language was not English, um, which is okay, but she just literally brought boxes and boxes of paperwork. <laughs> and it all just got thrown out. But, like, please don't Wait, do that. throw it out. Get it shredded. Dustin bought a bag, like a computer bag, at one of these stores. And it was filled with, like, like I think Dustin could have stolen this guy's identity. His, like, Mercedes-Benz 
payment like lease bills oh in there I, a bunch of medical bills please insane. check for personal belongings don't donate your boxes of shit that has mold spores um it's very hard for us to breathe to begin with in the back um let alone when you have literal mold in your donations and rat poop and pee everywhere if, if you can take the time to wash your donations before sending them in that would be amazing like if it's textile please throw it through the washer um if you have super dusty dishes or something that you want to donate please just take the time to rinse them off because there are times where it's so busy and we feel so rushed that even if it's good stuff if it's super dusty we do not have time to clean it and it's not going to go out on the floor i mean i think that's a really good call out too i think that I mean, like a lot of things I talk about on Clothes Horse, people forget that there are people involved, right? Like, much like we always talk about how, like, you know, your clothes aren't made by robots. They're literally made by other humans. When you drop stuff off at a thrift store or in a donation bin, it's not going to be sorted by machines or robots. It's sorted by human beings. And disgusting stuff that you wouldn't want to find as a surprise in a box or a bag Neither does anyone else. I mean, I found quite the surprise in a vase that I still had to put out. Was... I mean, if you wouldn't buy it, don't donate it. Yeah, that's the that's the golden rule. I mean, I if go If you wouldn't buy even that. touch it, don't donate it. Yeah, if you think that it should go in the garbage, it probably should. It just takes up too much of our time um, to just kind of go and sort it and then to just throw it away. Like, it's all just garbage. Yeah, well, it's not a garbage bin. Yeah, we're not, not a landfill. I mean, it goes to it eventually, but we're not the landfill. We're and just I think, the middleman. I think that both of us have also been injured from people donating, like, broken glass I, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I've been cut multiple times with broken glass and not really given proper... With gloves cleaning. on. Yeah, with gloves on. Fingers uncut. Yeah, it really forced me to go to Walmart to get five like packs of just gloves for myself like just thicker gloves to just go through you know because like i can't trust these gloves and even doubling up wasn't enough yeah i think that's a great call out like don't throw this stuff in bags and boxes like it's trash unless you think it is trash in that case put it in the trash but if it's legit something that you think has value to other people Pack it up as if you were packing it to move yourself. Exactly. Just pack it safely and don't put everything together. Your clothes, wares, and glass items don't need to go together. Yeah. It takes no time to just grab some recycled paper or even paper towels if you want to use paper towels or something, anything, newspaper. Wrap it up, please. Your clothes don't need to be the the wrapper for your glass and things like that. Yeah, separating those two is really great. It's a really huge help. It gives us a lot of time to not do that um but yeah if you if you wouldn't want to touch some of this stuff why why would you donate it also another thing if an employee working or like a a a dsr is working on on that day um and telling you that this is something that we cannot accept because it is uh hazardous or uh we just really cannot put it out as something that will go to the garbage so could you please just do that on your own please do that uh, do not just put it in the dock behind uh, the store or just leave it, pull around and leave it after we walk in. It is very rude and it just takes more time for us to figure out what the hell I'm going to do with this item. If your child had explosive diarrhea in their underwear, please do not donate them. 
because I have come across so many poopy underwear. And I'm not just talking about skid marks. Like, it's, they've been through something. Just throw it away. Like, yeah. I don't know if, like, people feel better that they're just donating it to a thrift store. But guess what? It's going to go in the trash when you could have just thrown it in the trash. And you're home. looping someone else into this. I and know. And possibly putting people at health risk. Exactly. Well, yeah, and we're already put at such a risk whenever we're dealing with... I mean, I I literally pulled out a dead mouse out of something that I then also put onto the floor. So whoever bought that vase, I hope that you clean that one out. I mean, why would I want to go through some soiled Scooby-Doo underwear? (laughs) I knew they were Scooby-Doo. It's either Scooby-Doo or Spider-Man, typically. (laughs) Sometimes Dora. I mean, yeah. Once again, like, people sort this stuff. And... Sorry, poopy underwear are garbage. Unless you want to try to clean them at home yourself, go for it. But, like, don't pass the problem on to someone else where it becomes a health risk. And it's just, it's like passing your trash on to someone else. Yeah, I mean, I just don't understand why people donate stuff that is so soiled. I mean, I get there might be some kind of misconception that we have washing machines or something. But even if we did, why would you donate stuff? Like, would you think another child should wear that? I mean, it's it's a hazmat situation. Yeah, yeah we do a, yeah. not get paid enough to deal with hazmat situations on top of having to clean the public bathrooms all the time. So. Yeah, and, 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 and like, just please... Just don't donate underwear to begin with unless they're in a brand new pack. It is really just not something that sells often. It honestly just gets thrown away anyway. Like, it might go out onto the floor for a day, a couple days, but it's not something that gets bought. It just sits there. So just don't do that. Same with socks. Please do not donate the nastiest socks you yeah, can if your find socks were white do not donate your husband's Hanes socks that he's worn for 20 years like they've had enough life just throw them away yeah not everything needs to be donated if it looks like you're not gonna wear it then somebody else probably won't either i mean i think that's a great call out like ask yourself why you're donating this if, if it's it makes because, you feel better it yeah. shouldn't yeah but if you actually look at like it's about being thoughtful right like does this item actually appear to be something that other people would find desirable and not just one person but like a lot go for it if it's something that you're donating because it's trash or because you are disgusted by or wouldn't use because of like the condition that it's in don't donate it if you are donating it because like you're in a different place in your life or it doesn't fit you anymore or you've just changed as a person fine also stop donating printers to thrift stores a lot of them like just don't work and it's really hard and computers um, yeah and computers uh the 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 stuff that like i'm not a technology like i'm not really advanced in that but like the stuff that's within it is really hard to to recycle for us um that work in these thrift stores uh, it's it's in in printers especially like the glass breaks so easy uh and I have, that is one thing that cut me really bad. And I just, I have PTSD from that. So please do not donate those. And the majority of the time, they don't even work. If you know it doesn't work, why would you donate it for somebody to buy for it to not work? That's just rude. Yeah, totally. And I would say most places at this point have like a technology donation center where like these things are actually like refurbished or harvested for parts or whatever. Go that route. Once again, like, I think that a lot of people use donation as just a means of getting rid of shit in a really efficient, fast way, just like throwing stuff in the trash. And ultimately, like being mindful and thoughtful 
about what's going to happen to the things you don't want anymore. You know what? It takes more effort than yeah. one sh- one stop dumping. I mean, we would always say at some point you're not donating because you're, you're ditching. You're, yeah, you're ditching. Like you don't get to like relish in the feelings of donating to needy people when you're donating trash. Well, you're thing, dumping trash. The thing with a lot of these customers or donors within this uh, company, especially, especially, um, they will ask for the notorious paper so that they can use it as a tax write-off. But the things uh, that they're can't donating... can't even really do anymore. Yeah, yeah. The, the things that you're donating don't even equal the $300 minimum. Honestly, it's all, like I said, garbage. Also, uh, you don't get to have a complex for donating things. Uh, I hate when people think that because they're donating anything, they're an amazing person, but really it, it doesn't mean anything. Like, thank you, but you... you at most, here's a pat on the back. Yeah. You do not deserve and an award for donating something to a thrift store. Exactly. Because and we have come across a lot of donors who seem to have that kind of complex and then in turn think that we should treat them like God because yeah. they donated something. They're always something. wearing that specific outfit too, honestly. It's just, you know who you are. <laughs> I mean, one thing that didn't surprise me per se as a person who's worked a lot of retail but was still really disheartening to hear is how terrible donors as i guess you would call them people who are dropping off their stuff yeah. would treat the yeah. two of you and you know as a dsr uh like like being like that face for them like and i would like when we were really overrun when there would be nothing in the back like you can't like you can't see like the person that works beside you because it is all just gay lords that are full of raw wares because we have no room to bring these carts in, even to just walk. Like, it, there's not even a foot distance of a walkway, um, and you're telling them we cannot accept any more donations, and there's still a line of cars, and they're already cussing you out. But it's like, this comes down to a matter of safety. Like, we cannot even walk. Like, if we had a, a drill, like a fire, how would we even efficiently and safely get out of there? I mean, there are times where the at me. back room was so packed that it was very hard to move back there. And you'd you have to do a little scooch in between the yeah, gay Yeah, it was that small. Like, it would be like a six-inch opening. Like And, like, uh, the majority of people couldn't even walk through that. Like, it's it's unsafe. And for people to just expect that we should take their garbage, because that's exactly what it would be. Like, it's just unfathomable. Like, we can't even walk, and you expect me to say, okay, yeah, you know what, you're the exception, I'll take it. And there's still stuff sitting on the 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 concrete stoop that I still have to bring in, let alone the shit that you want to drop off or dump. No. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just think this company itself is really terrible, but also people need to take responsibility for their behavior too. They, and they think that we're just being lazy when we say we can't accept these anymore. <laughs> it's it's literally, like I was- I, People if have I'm called there, us lazy yeah, before for if not I'm taking there, their stuff. I'm working 24 seven, I do not stop. You know, if I'm on shift, I don't stop. And like, that could just be me. But at the same time, it's what you have to do in that job. You cannot stop because you're, you're documented. You know what I mean? With what you do. So like- I other people are relying on me in that DSR position for their wares and their stuff so I have to always keep working like I'm not being lazy it's literally the fact that we have no room we cannot continue to take this stuff if you want I can I and I would direct them to other stores or other places that will gladly take their their things oh well I already just drove all this way what's another two minutes out of the way that's not good for me 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like working retail to me. Um, well, <laughs> do you two have anything else to add that you would like people to know or to think about before they pack up that trash bag full of their unwanted things? Um, I would just say it is completely possible to overconsume at the thrift store. Um, mm-hmm. Don't keep doing the cycle where you buy a bunch of stuff and then you re-donate it a month later. That isn't helping anything. You're just giving giving it right back to the source. And it's not going where you think. It's not going to a good cause. The cause with that company is never good. Okay, well, thank you to so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again to Dylan and Ryan for taking the time to share their stories and also for being all around great guests. I know I'm a little biased here, but wasn't that great? (laughs) If you've worked in the thrift industry and want to talk about it, please reach out to me. The more we share our personal stories, the more we educate other people around us and open their eyes and change their way of thinking. Stuff comes in and out of our lives. Our circumstances change. Our sizes change. Where we live and what we need, it changes. No one is expecting you to keep the same things for your whole life. If you can, that's great. But we have to revisit the lifespan of our belongings because ultimately, both the creation and the disposal of these items impacts so many people. So many people. Next week's episode will be all about how we can more mindfully rehome our unwanted items. I'm really loving the series about circularity and how it plays into our lives, and I hope you're enjoying it too. One last thing. It's just a reminder that the two-year anniversary of Close Horse is coming up. It's just a few weeks away. This time two years ago, I was finishing up episode one. I didn't even know how to edit audio. What a crazy two years it's been. I have a special episode planned to commemorate this auspicious occasion. I'm going to share my own path from fast fashion to clothes horse. My journey, if you will. I receive a lot of requests for that, and I'm finally just going to do it. Even though I hate talking about myself, I'm trying to get more comfortable with sharing myself with all of you. Guess what? I want to hear more about your journey too as part of this celebration, if you will. What made you start to care more about sustainability, particularly in regards to the things you wear? What changes were the most difficult and what were the easiest? How do you think slow fashion could be more accessible to others? And how do you find yourself making changes on a regular basis? Do you have any tips for others? You can learn more about how to record, where to send it, all the details in the show notes. Go check it out. But the deadline, I have to tell you, is rapidly approaching. It's Friday, July 1st. And so far, I've only received one submission. You know, for my 10th birthday, I planned a slumber party at my house and no one showed up. I'm still feeling that pain, which is pretty depressing. So please, please submit an audio essay. Was that pitiful enough. I could get more pitiful if you'd like. (laughs) Okay. On that depressing note, in a super depressing week, thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse. Researched, written, hosted, edited by me, Amanda Lee McCarty, a person who had a slumber party that no one came to. That's what therapy's for. (laughs) I'm still working on it. Um, If you like what you're hearing, 
please leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, And most importantly, tell a friend because collective action, community, that's what's really going to change the world and make it a better place. If you'd like to support my work here on Close Horse, please check out patreon.com slash close horse podcast. And thanks as always to my other half, Dustin Travis White, for our music and audio support. Bye. (laughs) 